I'll be reading this evening from Matthew chapter 26. If you have your Bibles, you may want to turn there with me. Matthew 26, verses 20 through 25. This is God's holy and inspired word. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. It was on this Maundy Thursday evening where the most horrible, heinous act of any individual was committed. Judas, a disciple, betrayed the perfect, spotless, pure, sinless, holy Son of God, and he did it for a handful of money. John MacArthur said this about Judas. He said, Judas is the most colossal failure in all of human history. Every time that he's mentioned in Scripture, we find a notation about him being a traitor. His story is an example of the depths to which the human heart is capable of sinking. This was the ultimate betrayal. As we look here just for a few minutes at this passage, we're going to see three things about this betrayal. We're going to see the sovereign plan of God. Then we're going to learn about what a nominal believer is, a nominal Christian is. And then we'll look at the love that Jesus has for sinners. So the sovereign plan of God, as Cole mentioned earlier, uh, this was not by coincidence. This was part of God's plan even from the beginning it was on the first day of unleavened bread and the disciples asked Jesus where they would eat the Passover meal together and Jesus told them to go find in the city a man carrying a jar of water this was unique because in this time in history women would be the ones usually carrying the jar of water and so it would have been obvious to find a man carrying a jar of water so when the disciples went into the city they saw this man and when they found that man the man was, take, was to take them to his house, and it was two stories, so he was pretty well off. And he took them into the upper room where they would have a meal. But if you go back to verse 18, it said that, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. My time is at hand. Jesus was not just referring to the Passover meal that he was about to eat. He was referring to his suffering and death and crucifixion and resurrection. The time had come for him to die. He knew it was his time because he is the son of God and he knows all things. In Luke's account of this passage, of this story, he said to his disciples, Jesus said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He was telling his disciples, I earnestly desire to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. He knew his suffering 
was to come because it was time. It was all a part of God's plan. And nothing would thwart God's plan. God's plan would come to fruition as Jesus would die on the cross. And the moment his suffering would begin would be the moment he was betrayed. And John's account of this, John 13, after washing the disciples' feet, he said to the disciples, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. What was Jesus getting at here? Well, right after he washed the disciples' feet, he then told his disciples, I want you to now love and serve one another. But he also said that this message was to the ones that he has chosen, meaning his elect, his people, his believers. But he made a clear distinction that not everybody around the table were his chosen people. There was one individual who was not his chosen people. And that individual was Judas. And Jesus went on to quote David from Psalm 41:19 when he said, "Even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me." What Jesus was doing was he was quoting David when David was betrayed by a close friend. Jesus was fulfilling a prophecy. Because again, this was all part of God's sovereign plan. It's one thing to be betrayed by an enemy, but it's another to be betrayed by a close friend. And just as David was betrayed by a close friend, Jesus now knows his time had come where he would be betrayed by a close friend. R.C. Sproul, he said, in the ancient Near East, to betray a friend was considered a heinous crime, but far more heinous was to betray a friend with whom one had shared bread at the table. This was a heinous crime, a slap in the face, that Judas would not only betray his friend, but right after they had a meal together. John 13, 19, Jesus said, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Does that sound familiar? I am. There are many instances throughout the Gospels where Jesus calls himself I am. And here's yet another one. What is he saying here to his disciples? He's saying that I am God. I am who I am, as quoted in the book of Exodus. As God described himself, Jesus is saying I'm telling you these things so that when this person, my friend, betrays me, and when this all happens, you will then remember what I told you and how it all came to fruition, and you will know that I am God. I am, I am. 
Jesus is the great I am. And this was all a part of his plan. The betrayal of Judas was a part of his plan and nothing could change it. You know, the other thing we we notice about this betrayal is not just the sovereign plan of God, but we also notice that there are, is such thing as a nominal Christian, a Christian by name only. People may say, I'm a believer, but they're really not. And Judas is the prime example of this. Matthew 26 again. When it was evening, Jesus reclined at table with the 12, and as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? And he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. I want you to imagine sitting at this table with Jesus and all your friends as disciples. And Jesus drops this bomb. And he says, By the way, one of you is about to betray me. Imagine the horror that you would feel, and the shock, the utter shock and disbelief. You'd look around the table and you'd say, wait, wait, what? We've been together for almost three years. We know each other like blood relatives. We're brothers. One of us is really going to betray you, Jesus? There's no way. And then they begin to ask the question, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Even Judas was asking the question as he was trying to play actor. Was it me, Lord? And what did Jesus say to him? Yes, it is you, Judas. You know, what's interesting here is that in John's account of this, is that John, or is that Peter looked over to John and he motioned to him and he said, John, can you ask Jesus who it is? John was sitting at the right hand or right side of Jesus, where Judas was on the left side of Jesus at the table. And Peter goes, hey, hey, and he's looking over at John. He said, John, ask Jesus, who is it? And it said in John 13, 26, Jesus answered John, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Right here, John seems to have known because it says Jesus dipped it and gave it to Judas. And then he also said in Matthew's account that he told Judas it was him. And then Judas got up and left. So John may have known that Judas was the one to betray him. But as you go on in the Gospel of John, John tells us that no one at the table really knew that Jesus said this to Judas. Some thought that because Judas was the treasurer of the disciples and he had the money bag, that Jesus was telling Judas, buy what you need for this feast or that he should give the money to the poor. And so the disciples thought that Jesus whispered something to Judas and Judas got up to leave to go help the poor or to go pay for the Passover meal. That's what they thought. So John may have known, but everybody else really didn't. But what's amazing about Judas is that he was with Jesus for two and a half, three years. He acted like a believer. He talked like a believer. He was even able to perform miracles like a believer. So who was this Judas Iscariot? Well, Judas means Jehovah leads. The Lord leads. 
This is ironic because it indicates that Judas's mom and dad, they named him this because they had great hopes for him that God would lead him throughout his life. Well, the irony of it all is that no individual was ever more clearly led by Satan than Judas. The name Iscariot is not his last name. It's where he's from. And Judas was from the region of Judea. I bring that up because Judas, out of all the disciples, was the only one not from Galilee. Judas was from Judea. The other 11 were from Galilee. So Judas automatically would have been known as an outsider because he wasn't from Galilee. A lot of the disciples, they were close friends, companions, workers together. Some of them were brothers, but not Judas. So scholars seem to think, well, Judas may have felt like an outsider because he was from a whole different part and didn't know anybody. But there's no evidence that tells us that he felt excluded from the group. But because he wasn't as well-known as the others, he could have easily played the actor and the hypocrite. And over time, Judas began to build their trust, their trust enough to become their treasurer, the one who handled all their money. But later we find out in John chapter 12 that Judas was a robber. John said this about him. He said this not because he cared about the poor, Judas, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So what we see here is that Judas was kind of an outsider. And even though he was over the money, he stole from his very friends and from others. But what all happened for him to lead to this moment of betrayal? If you go earlier in Matthew 26, if you just look a few verses ahead from our passage this evening, you'll find that just before Jesus entered in Jerusalem on the donkey in the triumphal entry, Jesus and his disciples had returned to Bethany after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And Mary ended up taking a very costly oil and perfume and anointed Jesus' feet with it. And he wiped his feet with her hair. It was an incredible act of worship on Mary's part. But do you know the first disciple who got offended by this action, who it was? It was Judas. John 12 tells us. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Judas got really upset. Why? Not because he thought Mary needed to save that money for the poor, even though he played the part that, oh, Mary could have used this for the poor. He got upset because he couldn't embezzle the funds. You know how much 300 denarii would have been? It would have been an entire year's wage. Judas saw this as a complete waste, and he was livid. He was angry at Mary. He was angry at Jesus. He says, why are you allowing this waste to happen when we could have the money? And do you know what happened after Jesus 
gently confronted Judas right after? It tells us in Matthew that Judas went to meet with the chief priests and to plot Jesus' arrest and death right after this moment. That's what happened. You know, he ended up, as he went to the chief priest, he ended up bargaining with the chief priest for 30 silver coins. Do you know how much the 30 silver coins would be worth? Exodus 21, 32 tells us it was the price of a slave. It didn't take much money for Judas to negotiate Jesus, his betrayal. The price of a slave. Judas stooped to the lowest level you could ever imagine for the price of a slave. You know, what's fascinating about Judas is he looked the part, he played the part, he acted the part, but he wasn't changed from within. He wasn't a true believer. In Matthew 10, it describes how God used him in mighty ways. It said, the 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. What's Jesus saying here? He was telling his disciples, including Judas, that you are to go into these towns and you are to do these miracles. Heal the sick, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. This tells me that Judas did these things. How is that possible for Judas to be able to do these things if he's not a Christian? It's possible because of the grace of God and God's common grace. Even though Judas was able to do these things by the grace of God, his heart was not truly changed and transformed by God. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus was giving a stern warning. I imagine he was thinking about Judas. But Judas was able to do amazing things. He looked like a Christian. He acted like a Christian. He performed deeds like a Christian would do. But yet Jesus... We'll tell him in heaven or in the judgment day, I never knew you. Not in heaven, in the judgment day. And Judas is going to be, or he's in hell. And he'll be in hell for eternity. That's a scary thought. Because in East Tennessee, we're around a lot of people who think they're Christians and they're not. They may have grown up in church. They may know the Sunday school answers. They may, they may know about Jesus, but do they really know who Jesus is? Do they have a relationship with Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you know who he is? And if you aren't sure tonight, if you're lacking assurance of your salvation and of your faith, I want to remind you that Jesus has an incredible love for sinners that will blow you away. Did you know that there were four things that Jesus did this evening for Judas, that shows his incredible love. 
the first thing that he did to Judas was he washed his feet. This was right before Judas was going to betray him. He washed his enemy's feet. That was supposed to be done by the house servant. There was no house servant in the upper room, so Jesus said, I'll do it. The host would never do such a thing, but Jesus did it. The second thing he did to show Judas love is he put him at a place of honor. Judas was to his left where John was to his right at the table. Judas right next to him, the place of honor. But yet Jesus knew all along that Judas would betray him. The third act that Jesus did for Judas was he broke bread with him and he ate with him. In the culture at that time, to take a morsel from the table and dip it in the common dish and to offer it to someone was a gesture of special friendship. And we know that because in the book of Ruth, Boaz invited Ruth into into come fellowship with her or with him. And he said to her in Ruth 2, come over here, Ruth, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. He offered her some toasted grain or roasted grain. This was an act of true friendship, even an intimate, close relationship among friends. So what did Jesus do this evening? Monday, Thursday, he broke bread with Judas. And you know what the the other thing he did? When Judas betrayed him and kissed him on the cheek, and the 600 guards were there to arrest Jesus, You know what Jesus called Judas? He called him friend. He came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. And then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. He called Judas friend. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And if that doesn't convince you of what love is all about, I don't know what will. So for those of you here tonight that might be questioning whether or not you're a believer, I just encourage you, question no more. And let the love of Jesus compel you to love others and to love him and to follow him. Let this love of Christ transform you and give you purpose and peace and joy. And let it assure you that if you were to die tonight, you'll be in heaven because you love Jesus and you know he loves you. Are you a friend of Jesus or are you a hypocrite? I would encourage you, don't be like Judas. Don't be a hypocrite. But instead... (laughs) Be a friend of Jesus because he's a friend of you.